Hey, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Death to Manila podcast. Now, this podcast is all about taking people from different uh, industries so that way you get all kinds of different perspectives on how they do innovative, different things in their marketing and their branding so that they can stand out, so they get noticed instead of get ignored. Because let's be honest, you cannot sell and make an impact on people who do not know you exist. So getting noticed is kind of important. Uh, So on this episode, I have a very special guest. His name is Bobby. He does uh, a lot of design work in uh, the rec department of Georgia University. Uh, He has a, a team of people that work for him. And he has, he's like a very thoughtful dude. He's very like, thinks deeply about the kinds of content that gets produced and its effect on people and on society. And, you know, we live in a very like intensely heated culture, right? And, and people get offended easily. People say things that get people offended all the time. Um, there's just like, it's a very like tense situation. And so, because of that, I think he's such a timely guest to have on the show uh, because he's able to articulate, you know, not only ways that you handle clients, like from a tactical standpoint, that's very helpful, but also in how to think through how to make content in a way that is thoughtful and helpful to humans, right? And uh, being able to do that in a way that is inclusive, that is loving, is helpful, is just thoughtful, you know, and, uh, you know, we've all seen posts from different businesses where they post something and it's kind of like off color or it's poorly timed. And it's like, man, did you even think about that when you sent that out? And, you know, Bobby really challenges us to look at that differently in a very tactical, helpful way. And so I can't wait for you to listen to this episode. So without further ado, let's jump into this podcast with Bobby. I want to cause no problems. I just want to live my life, but I keep on hearing about nonsense. Me and my dons ain't mobsters, but you know when you see imposters. We know how to read them faces, same way you know how to read them comments. If you want to talk, let's talk. But right here, make sure you walk and your talk is constant. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Death of Vanilla podcast. And I am joined by Bobby today. And I'm really excited to have him on because he has this like design background uh, that will really help us in understanding like aesthetically and functionally how that helps us show up in a unique and interesting way. Uh, Cause let's be honest, you know, when you have the same platforms and the same cameras and the same phones and the same, everything else uh, at that point, you got to have other things to be able to help you stand out and do something differently. And so hopefully you'll be able to <laughs> unpack that for a little bit today. And I know you will. So uh, if you could just uh, introduce yourself and kind of just let us know what you are all about. Uh, so we get some context for what you bring to the table. I think that would be wonderful. So welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm Bobby Zadan. I am the marketing specialist for Georgia State University's Recreational Center. And um, for the past three years, I've also been mixing the worlds of design in uh, counseling theories. So um, what I've really been working on is how we can use counseling practices and mental health practices in our, uh, I guess, our search for uh, being bold in uh, our design work and teaching some design students also how they can utilize counseling practices to build better rapport with their clients. Okay. 
So maybe that would be a great place to, for us to really enter the conversation, right? Because, uh, I mean, I know what counseling is, but I, I cannot see the connect there. Uh, obviously, you know, EQ is super important right now. We live in a world that, you know, uh, understandably, we, you know, especially in the United States, we deal with such a huge variety of, of cultures and backgrounds and lifestyles and stuff like that. Like, you got to have some EQ on in how you're approaching content and design and stuff like that. Um, so uh, in some ways, it can almost be more challenging to stand out because you don't know whose feathers you're going to ruffle. But uh, I would love to hear how you see um, that counseling side and design, you know, marketing connect, like how does that work in your mind? So it works on different, a lot of different platforms for one, um, just starting off with a client, understanding active listening, understanding reflection of feeling reflection of meaning, um, paraphrasing can really do a world of wonders because you get more of the story when you're allowing your clients the room to talk. Um, in counseling, this is huge because the act of being silent, which is difficult for some of us. I know for myself, it's incredibly difficult to be quiet, but there's those nuances, those, um, what is it, nonverbal communication uh, that really plays a part in what we're doing. So in that, I use um, a, uh, a Rogerian theory which is um, all about being humanistic. It's just about act, asking really in-depth questions um, and allowing your client to be present in the moment. Um, then you have some other theories like solution focus, for instance, where the whole idea is to focus on strengths. And when you're talking about branding, that's a huge deal. When you're focusing on a brand's strengths to create solutions. The con to this, though, is, of course, with anything solution-focused, they usually solve the short term. So you have to find ways that these solutions can also solve or start creating a pathway with the long-term goals. Um, we also, I like to use uh, narrative therapy, which is the act of deconstructing someone's story and then reconstructing it. So that involves a lot of active listening into what is considered ideal and subversion. So for instance, someone is, you know, telling the, telling you about their brand, that is something that is ideal. This is something they want you to hear. When you're actively doing research and you're starting to see, wait a minute, their ways of operations, their sales price, everything else isn't something they told me, that's subversion. Both of those can play into your reconstruction. Um, and probably one of the most common ones I see designers using, especially UI designers and UX designers, are uh, something called an empathy map, which is really just cognitive behavior therapy. Your thoughts affect your feelings that affect your behavior. Right. Now, in that standpoint, you have to remember that it's not linear. Sometimes, especially if you're acting, you're utilizing a really active brand. Um, for instance, I, I'm in recreation. Whole thing is on movement, action oriented. So sometimes your behavior is affecting the thoughts and feelings. So you have to kind of mm. evaluate who you are working with. And um, the uh, probably the 
broader scope of it all um, is what we were talking about a little bit before when it comes down to uh, culture and ethnicity, it all plays a part into identity. So in my work, when I, uh, as a brand identity um, consultant, designer, I'm still working that out, but uh, <laughs> what I focus on is identity okay. because it's incredibly complex. And when you focus on your brand as a person, you're giving it a personality, you're giving it all these traits, you have to kind of focus on culture, you have to focus on uh, what exactly this brand does, and its impact on other people. So I'm hoping that's, uh, that's kind of a broader scope or uh, kind of a simplistic scope of what a uh, the two worlds kind of mix, but um, utilizing it in this last three years have been really beneficial. And a lot of uh, a lot of my student workers have been able to actually utilize it in their freelance work, and it's been incredibly helpful. Right. So one thing that I'd like for us to dig into. Sorry, I'll wait for my computer to stop shaking uncontrollably. One of the things that I'd love for us to dig into a little bit is just this idea of listening, because I, I love that for a couple reasons. Um, for one, I think we live in a world where people don't feel heard. And so I think listening is good, just like on a human to human basis. Uh, so I love that for that reason. But I also do think that like when I think about developing a strategy and coming up with like, like you talk about branding and stuff like that, all these things are a journey uh, and you're on the journey with someone else. And so for you to be able to take them where they want to go and where you think they should go and everything else, obviously you have to be listening. Because at the end of the day, if you go and try to solve a problem that the client doesn't believe is a problem, you have a pretty massive disconnect and it's going to be a real hard time to have a great uh, relationship and have them feel good about what you're doing unless you're able to educate them into understanding why you're doing what you're doing. Um, so how, how is it that you do your listening? Like, do you have a process? Do you have like questions? Like, how is it that you're able to listen well so that when you go to formulate your design work, it makes sense to them? Uh, probably the first thing I do is, um, for one thing, I have a problem with like eye, eye contact. Like I always, I always go into any meeting, like am I making enough eye contact? But I try matching the eye contact and the overall like nonverbal that my clients is presenting. Mm. Uh, so I, I generally like to do it in person. Of course, now we're in the world of Zoom and yeah. Skype. So that's even more important. Um, making sure I have a very steady tone because I come off very monotone. Um, but when I'm asking questions uh, or when they're starting to talk and then I want to ask a question, um, there are those times where your client may start fire rapidly, like just rapid fire these massive ideas like really, really really fast or these massive concepts really really fast and one thing i've learned to do is just like put a hand up really softly and just saying i'm sorry i just want to make sure i'm clarifying and getting enough information and that's when you start to paraphrase their segments of what they're talking about it sounds like blah 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 blah, blah because blah 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 and you can also pull out meaning if, you know, somebody, I've had a client before tell me, I just, I feel like I'm lost. I feel like everything I do isn't working. And that's a simple way of 
you know, connecting with them saying, you know, it sounds very frustrating because in your minds, as much effort as you're putting into it, you're not really getting a lot back in return. And that's a way for you to connect and show the fact that you're listening to the feeling aspect, but also their thought aspect. Um, so I say the bigger, this, uh, best thing to do, make sure that you're, you're calm. You go in there. It's about them. Be comfortable with silence. Practice silence in a conversation with somebody. Practice just being quiet and letting them talk. And then another thing is, again, when you're starting to ask questions, um, probably the bigger thing I do is I don't ask the question why when I first meet And the reason for that is because it can come off a little diminishing to their experiences. No matter how you word it, no matter how soft your voice is, sometimes it's just, a, it's really diminishing. So asking those open-ended questions, I would ask more of like, what is, what is the purpose of doing this? What value are you putting into this? Allowing them to fully speak the kind of your um, open-ended questions or the yes or no questions tend to kind of cut the conversation when you want them to keep going. So check for feeling, check for what they're saying, look at their body language, see how frustrated they are. They could have had a bad experience. I've had clients before who've had bad experiences with other designers. So they're probably coming into this a little skeptical. Yeah. So checking that and normalizing that experience for them and making sure that you're presenting yourself as somebody who is there for them. So yeah, I would say definitely nonverbals to your questions, to paraphrasing, reflecting your feeling, reflecting meaning, that all shows active listening. I think that uh, this hits on so many things that I like naturally am not great at. Um, you know what I mean? And like, so for example, like using a very broad stroke here, this is like a number one woman's complaint about a guy that he's just sitting there and then just like providing solutions, but not really like empathizing with the frustration of the situation. And I feel like this is identical in so many ways where it's like, you want to start out establishing like a common ground and developing that like emotional connection with them first, and then eventually get into problem solving, which really gets into part two, which is like, for me, I'm very analytical. So like, I'm trying to get to the problem as quickly as possible so we can start solving it. And so for me, like I would hundred percent ask why, like, mm -hmm. I would say my line of questioning is, is pretty intense by most people's standards. Um, so good to know that I need to soften it up a little bit. Um, and so, so your, your suggestion then is to go and just ask more like roundabout questions to arrive at where you're going. Right. Which I guess in this particular case is really just kind of based on your like personal experience and how to navigate that, um, is what I'm guessing. Like, do you have, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think of like how, how one per, a person would work through that. Like in your, in your suggestion, then like, how would you suggest someone gets better at this? Like, do they just need to get a book on relationships and that's just going to like bleed over 
or like, how would you do that? Because for, like I said, for me, my natural tendency is I want to get to the problem fast. Right. Um, and so what you're suggesting is going about that roundabout. And so for someone who that doesn't come naturally to, what would be your suggestion on how to begin learning how to navigate that? I would write down your questions. Um, I wouldn't go into it with a script, obviously, because you want that humanistic experience. But I would write them down. Anytime you come up with why, I would, like, for instance, you'd say, why is this important? It's a great question. I mean, we always want to know the importance and the value of what we are doing. But the way I would kind of go about it is, tell me about the value that you're putting into this project. Tell me about the importance of this project to your company, to your brand. Um, Asking more like what or inviting more information to come in. Um, Again, if you have that rapport with that client, though, asking why isn't essentially the worst thing in the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is more helpful when you are starting to build rapport with that client. Um, just because again, you want to make sure you're, you're on base with what they're doing. Uh, these are companies too. So they are very analytical. Not all of them are creative. So, right. you know, asking those questions isn't exactly indirect. It could be very direct in your approach. It's tell me about the importance of this project to you. Tell me about the solution you just gave or, um, better saying is like, okay, you gave me a solution on this hand, but you also are saying that this is a challenge. How does that work? How do both of those play into the same field? Mm-hmm. You know, calling out some of those kind of irrational thinking because our clients do have some irrational thinking. Um, again, this no. is for them. <laughs> this is something brand new for them. So just calling it out, doing, you know, the comparison of, okay, well, we were just saying this and now we're saying this. So they kind of feel like a disconnect. Can I get some clarity? Right. So Um, is the why question is the reason that's not great initially is because that's, that puts them on the defense. Is that what I'm feeling from you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it was a good practice what you just did. I like that. (laughs) I try. I've been married (laughs) like eight years. I've been, gosh, darn it. I try okay so so because of the fact that you have like students you help out I think this would be a great way um for us to talk about like from like a manager employee situation which is essentially that's what this is um how do you go about spearheading that so did you sit down with them and like talk through like this is how you have a conversation Like, how did you develop that in your team? I actually learned a lot from my students uh, right off the bat. My uh, initial reaction to, or my initial like strategy of going in um, just flopped with my students. Um, My students very much told me very quickly, I do not want to hear horror stories about the field or anything. They wanted benefit. They wanted to know what can we do? How can we better ourselves? We want to hear great things about how we are growing. They want an encouragement. So taking that approach, I created something called uh, creative support at the end of every one of our meetings. And I brought up some of these concepts and said, 
okay, let's talk about it. Let's practice. Let's see what you have to say. Um, and a lot of them started adapting it into how they were talking to their clients. They, uh, I had one student who was like, I'm a little iffy. I'm not sure about this, but I do have to meet with a client tomorrow uh, for a class assignment. And I was like, try it out, see what happens. And she told me when she came back, she's like, I tried it and I got more information than everybody else in the class. That's amazing. Um, there you go. And uh, the client uh, came back and was really impressed with how she, uh, how she handled herself and how she uh, really tried making that rapport with him. And uh, that's, again, it's all crucial into building that rapport, but at the end of the day, it's also gathering information. We build off information. We need research. We need to know what we're doing. Um, we can make a logo just to make a logo, but yeah. it's mark at the end of the day. Um, there has to be some substance. I, I mean, just in general, I, I sense like, uh, a lot of like deep ponderings from you. I feel like you've thought about a lot of these things quite a bit. And so what I would love to see if you could uncover a little bit is the uh, being able to address some of the fear of being bold in like your marketing and in, in your work, right? Because let's be honest, um, you know, some for legitimate reasons, others for not you know, who's the judge of that? I don't know, but, um, you know, people get canceled or they get, um, totally like blacklisted or, you know, we're talking about companies, CEOs, stuff like that, because of things they say, whether it was offhanded or wrong or you know, what have you. And what I think that does is create fear, uh, that you need to kind of like tone it down a little bit. You need to like, you, you just, you can't say anything anymore. I think is how a lot of people feel. Mm -hmm. um, they have to like really second guess and triple check and quadruple check what they say to make sure, you know, it gets taken the right way and context and stuff like that. So obviously people need to be smart about how they present themselves. But what I'd love to hear is kind of what you've been thinking and feeling deeply about when it comes to how does a, a company be both bold and, you know, uh, not overstep their bounds and get themselves in a position where they stand out in the wrong way and get themselves in a lot of trouble. Right. Because that's the first thing that happens. Like, Oh, you're going to be brave. You know, I'm going to go leap off the, you know, let's just say, for example, like a cliff jumping, right. The first mm -hmm. time you jump off a cliff, it's like the craziest thing in the world. You don't know how deep it is, blah, blah, blah. You go run to make the jump, but there's a lot of fear. Then once you make the leap, you go do it a second or third time. Like there's definitely like, you know, substantially less fear. So for a lot of these people, you know, if you're talking about a business who's showing up online, maybe doing digital marketing for the first time, there's a lot of fear and what it's like to show up in the kind of temperament of society right now. So how does someone navigate that? How do they get themselves in a position where they're thinking deeply and empathetically about what they're making while also standing out? I think with their client, the best thing you can do is one, normalize the fear. Normalize the fact that a lot of companies are afraid of this right now. Mm -hmm. um, there's a power into, and I'm not a fan of the word normal, but it, there is a, there is a power to the, to the word normal and to be able to showcase other times where, Hey, this person was fearful also like this is, you know, just 
here's the information, here's the measurements to show you like a lot of people are doing this right now and a lot of people are fearful. So, and finding out from them where really the fear is coming from. Because like you said before, they might have already overstepped our boundaries. Maybe another thing to think about is how well do we know our audience? Mm. How well do we actually know who we're talking to? Um, that's a huge thing to do right now. Uh, humanistic design has been around for a while, like forever, but we're really kind of focusing it, uh, focusing on, on more. Um, I was in a conference last summer um, where are the black designers and uh, somebody from IDEO said, empathy is no longer enough. Empathy is the journey to humanism. So while you're normalizing and you're, while you're normalizing it, while you're getting your information, while you're doing the research and presenting everything to them and also examining who they're talking to, your actions have to prove that you're making that effort, that you're, you're standing out and you are being bold, but at the same time, you're being bold in the sense uh, you're being bold, but in the sense of what your audience is seeing you. So like their version of bold, their version of bold, because at the end of the day, yes, we design, we get paid with our clients and everything, but the truth of the matter is we design for their audience. Right. So what is it the audience wants? How, what is bold to them? And Sometimes it's hard to figure out because we uh, we don't have time to interview. We don't have time to do uh, surveys and everything else. So sometimes we just have to really rely on a lot more research. And there's those times I've I've had, especially in my own job, it's had those times where I'm like, am I am I sure with this message? I'm like doing the social media campaign. Am I sure with this message? sometimes cross-referencing, just cross-checking with some of your friends and some of the people that you may know that fall into that culture culture or that community. Yeah. And saying, what do you think about this message? What do you think about what I'm doing? Like, if I give this to you, what do you think? And when I started doing that, when I started asking, what's your reaction? What do you think about what's going on? it changed the whole scope because I'm all of a sudden hearing that, okay, wait a minute, you want to step off using this? Um, you know, this is really corny because I love making corny posts, but <laughs> this is really, really corny and it's not going to work for our audience. And I'm like, okay, so. Dang it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, like example, I had one with ping pong and a, Something about like, do you think you're as good as Forrest Gump? That's not going to work with college students because not everybody knows who Forrest Gump is. It shows so my true. age. So um, measuring it out with somebody else and just getting that second view really kind of helps a lot. But um, yeah, I would definitely say like understand your audience. If you're having that problem with like them fearful of being bold, what is your audience saying? Right. You know, normalize the fear, normalize the fact that your audience is saying this, make this, this is common. This is what we are doing. Right. And, uh, you know, take baby steps into it. Maybe also show them a lot of proofs and a lot of, maybe show them a lot of proofs. It depends on the timing, but 
give them a good example and it, just full explanations of like why this is going to be beneficial. Um, to those who have made the mistake, understand that you made the mistake, own up to it. Accountability means a lot these days. And it's okay to be accountable for what you're doing. Yeah. Make sure that you're taking the active steps to actually improve. So one thing that you, you said in there that I thought was pretty fascinating is because it's something I realize like as I get older, like I begin to understand why people are so out of touch. Um, you know, like, like for me, it was always like the guys running around with like long hair and guns and roses t-shirts. It's like, dude, that was like 40 years ago. And then now that I'm getting older, I'm like, okay, like now I get it. Like you have these crazy experiences when you're younger and then those stick with you. And what has made me realize is that as humans, it's so hard for us to stay relevant because we live in the past so much and we got to keep pushing to have like newer, like newer experiences, right? Like I want to fall in love with a new band. I want to fall in love with a new movie so that I'm not like living in the past. Like, oh, it was so good back then. You know what I mean? And I think that's interesting when, like, when we apply that to like marketing and design work, I feel like it sticks just as well, where there's this idea that like, as we keep ourselves fresh, that it ends up helping us stay on top of things. And I feel like that with like some of the narrative that we're talking about in the world that we're living in is like, if we're constantly pushing ourselves to live in like the here and the now we begin to stay more up to date, more educated, more in tune with, with what is happening culturally. And I think we end up actually making less, like we make missteps, but different like levels of ones, because instead of approaching the world from a 20 years ago world, we're approaching the world from a right now world. Like, what, what do you, what do you think about that? I think it's important to stay in the present. I mean, I think it's a thinking error that we know what's going to happen in the future. Um, with measurements and everything else, yeah, we, we have an idea of what's going to happen, but we don't know until the future presents itself. So staying in the present and just, again, utilizing that active listening, listen to our younger generation, our younger designers. I'm a, I'm a very big advocate for creative, uh, what I'm trying to say, creative leadership to listen to the younger generation that is working for them or the younger designers that are working for them because they bring in a different perspective to a situation that we may not have thought about before. Um, we can get stale. We can get a little stagnant. We were taught a certain way. Therefore, it's hard to kind of break that mold ever so often, but we are in a field. Um, I think I said this before, but we're in a field uh, where I consider it, uh, I consider the word equifinality. There's a million different solutions to one problem and right. they're all valid. So, um, you know, if you have a younger staff member, having them voice their perspective in the situation or in the, you know, creative process can really do worlds of wonder. Um, they can really be beneficial to how the solution kind of presents itself. Right. I think that, yeah, I think that's what, I think that's what bothers a lot of people about um, innovation is just that like resistance to new ideas. Um, and I think it's why businesses get stuck. And I think it's why they end up falling behind, mm -hmm. um, whether it's their marketing or whether it's their leadership style or whether it's their products or whatever it is. Like if you're, if you as a leader 
are not open to new ideas, you're essentially like dating yourself every year that passes by um, to the point where you become irrelevant and then your business dies, you know? And what you're talking about is, at least what I feel you're talking about is just that idea of like being willing to hear a new idea is just about as crazy as it needs to get because then you can sit there and process it with your wisdom and experience in years and say like, oh, okay, like that makes sense. But like, if you're not open to ideas to begin with, you got nowhere to go. Right. Um, And just piggybacking off that, I think it's the fear of losing safety. Mm. And if everybody, if we're taking a risk, evaluate, you always want to evaluate your return on investment, but you, you want to evaluate the risk. What exactly would this risk do? What, you know, do your SWOT analysis, toes analysis, whatever it is that you want to do on the situation, but it's okay to evaluate the risk. Um, But also understand that you got to kind of flip the coin a little bit. What is the, what is the possible outcome of holding on to this safety? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you, what, what's been your experience in like navigating that for people? Like, have you, have you had situations where you've walked into that? Like we've been safe for too long situation and had to like, give it like some, some juice to try to jump back jump it back up again yes and i failed miserably oh no well are you willing to tell the story because i think yeah. failure is so important to learn from yeah um i i had a contract job uh when i was working in nashville as a young designer and um it was uh with a boot company um it was family owned and you know just knowing the system of how everything was working um it was it was a very hard client very very difficult client and we were designing these new elevator skins for uh, a couple of the stores that had two stories and um you know i showing them uh showing them proofs giving them examples of like why this would be beneficial especially considering the cut and everything and you know he was like oh i don't like it i don't like it and the logo has to be bigger the logo has to be bigger and I got really confused in this situation because I was like, well, what are you trying to show? Is it Nashville or is it where they are in the store? Because the truth of the matter is your logo is everywhere in the store. (laughs) On the elevator, when you first presented the idea, it was more Nashville-based. And now it's logo-based. If I can't match the two together. And, um, you know, it's... It was just one of those things where I want you to read my mind. I want you to read my mind. We've all been there. Yeah. Um, I just, I could not read what he was trying to do. No matter how I was asking questions, it was just being stop, stop, stop. And what I realized in this situation, looking back was this client did not want to change. This client did not really want my perspective. He just wanted someone to do it that was on payroll. (laughs) And... Ultimately, at the end of the day, I go back to a very big lesson I learned while I was um, studying to be a counselor. Uh, You can only go as far as your client wants to go. Mm. Sometimes you just got to cut the check and go. And it's a sad reality. But at the same time, I made sure I still provided the proofs. I still gave them something and said, you know, like, if you need more help, 
Um, I was contacted by somebody else from the company who said, I really wish they would have went with your other idea. We put the one that he wanted up and now the logo, every time the door shuts, the logo gets cut and it looks really weird. And I was like, it's a pretty active elevator, isn't it? And he's like, yeah. I was like, so the logo being in the middle is probably not the best idea. (laughs) No kidding. (laughs) You know, at the end of the day, sometimes if your client just is not willing to change, you've done everything you can, you've built that rapport, you've really asked a lot of questions, you've started doing so much research, so much strategy work and everything, and you have provided so much uh, feedback and so much uh, collateral for them to take. If they're not, if it's just a thing where they're not willing to go, it's okay to say like, all right, I'm just, I'm going to do what needs to be done in this project. I'm going to make sure it looks the best way I can do it. But at the end of the day, I think it's, uh, I talked about it in one of the podcasts about uh, terminating your client, being able to say like, we went as far as we can. It's, it's time to go. Um, And being okay with it at the end of the day, it's not every client's going to match with you. And that's just a reality. And sometimes most of the time what I saw, actually, they're not ready. Yeah. And if they're not ready, you're always there waiting if they need help. Well, and I think that's like, when I think of like bold marketing, like you have to commit, you have to commit if you're doing something different. What I see people getting the most upset about is people who aren't, don't believe in what they've said or done. They don't like stand behind it. You know what I mean? Like, you know, even if someone's wrong, you can at least uh, respect the conviction. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I think um, lack of conviction is just universally uh, hated. And so, uh, yeah, so I think you're 100% right in the sense that, like, if, the, cuffs, if the, the client's not ready, chances are they don't have the conviction and the commitment to make it happen, in which case it's ultimately going to fail. It's eventually going to get to a spot where it flops because you're going to have to make decision after decision based on this baseline that you've created. And if they don't agree to that baseline, then you've essentially reverted back to whatever is comfortable again, which is, is vanilla. (laughs) And um, a thing off that also is just the fact that, um, you know, if, if your client's not ready, of course, like normalizing the experience also, like that's another place you can normalize it and make them feel a little more comfortable. Like, okay, well, maybe I'm not the only one who's fearful of this. Right. And um, again, it's, it's okay. It's okay to refer out to somebody if you uh, feel like they're going to be a better fit. I've had to do that with, uh, I've had to do that multiple times, Um, but it's okay to, it's okay to step away if you need to step away, but making every effort to make sure that you're understanding where they're coming from. Right. That's the bigger thing. So would you say like percentage wise that most of the disconnect is communication and probably what, like maybe 10% of it just as a broad stroke is actually bad client fit. I would say so. I would say, I would say probably, yeah, 90, 10 because one, you're probably not asking a lot of questions. You're not actively listening. You're not providing kind of that safety ground for them to take the risk. 
making them feel like you're they're in good hands. Um, you know, if you are a creative that focuses on being bold and making bold brands, making sure they know that when they're first coming in, like I'm here to amp it up. I'm here to make things bold and just so they know what they're walking into. But again, it's, it builds on that communication, uh, asking those, asking those questions, just taking that minute to let them say what they need to say. Um, a big uh, thing I also learned was, you know, while yes, you're the master of your craft, your client's the master of what that brand does. Mm. Now, your audience is the master of how it's perceived. Right, for sure. So having those play all into a part of each other is a huge, uh, becomes a huge advantage. Understanding how all three of those parts play into each other becomes a massive uh, advantage because you can learn to talk better to not only your client, but your audience. Talk through your client to your audience. I love that phrase. I don't think I've ever heard anyone articulate it quite like that. The, the, the client is the master of how it's perceived. I love that. I think that's amazing. Um, it, it, what it, what it lends me to go down the road it makes me go down is the idea of like the client isn't wrong. Like in a sense, like, you know, like people can be wrong. No, sorry, not the client, the, the, the audience isn't wrong. They just perceive what they perceive. Um, like, uh, have you ever read, um, shoot, let me think of the book. Um, the portrait of um something gray dorian gray yes the portrait of dorian gray so the interesting thing is like so that book made a huge splash when it came out very controversial it's very edgy if you will and uh i remember there was like some like intro or something about it where basically the author um basically said art exposes something in yourself. And so it's not that like my book is right or wrong or whatever else is, is exposing something in you and you're responding to it. Um, if anything, it's a mirror to yourself. And so it's just kind of interesting. It's the, the idea that like a business puts something out there, but ultimately how the audience responds is the truth meter on how well you're doing something, right? Because they, like you said, they're a master of their perception and so uh, you can't get upset with them or, uh, you know, whatever else. It's just, it's identifying that there's a disconnect and you have to live with that. And my guess is what you've suggested this entire time over and over again, which is you're probably just not asking the right questions or you're just not asking questions at all. Um, so, yeah, I don't know, like, I don't know what to ask you about that, but that's just like my perception on that is is just this idea that like what you put out there has a reaction and you just have to live with it, I guess. Yeah. Or use it to build upon the strategy. Sometimes our projects aren't, we know art design is never, ever finished. Like if we're putting that in that theory to mix or the test on this, you know, if your audience comes back with a negative reaction, that's measurement to figure out what, about the solution didn't fully hit and how can we fix it? Yeah. Can, or maybe how can we build upon it? How can we make it better? So, uh, yeah, I mean, if you're, 
if you're really listening to your audience, you're really playing into what your audience is wanting. They're going to be an active role in how successful the strategy was or how the strategy can become better. Yeah. So what I think I'd like us to kind of finish on is, um, man, something you said really sparked something inside of me. Let me, let me think about it for a second. Cause my mind was going blank as I was asking the questions. It just disappeared. Um, talking about asking questions. Oh, I know what I was going to ask. So I know this is probably like ridiculously hard to articulate, but you seem really good at articulating things. So maybe I'm just not giving you enough credit. Um, when it comes to design work, how are you, like, how does one measure feedback when it comes to like how thick the outline of the logo was? You know what I mean? Like, how do you connect those things together? Like, uh, you know, oh shoot, I picked the wrong color. You know, how do you even know that uh, from audience feedback? So I guess from like, for the designer, from the marketers who are designers out there, like how does one connect the dots on design and audience feedback and questions? You know what I'm saying? Cause like for me, those are, those are difficult. Uh, you know, you can critique someone on what they said or maybe even how they said it, but I don't know, it, you know, it's art and science. So like, how, how do you navigate that? I, you know, I don't know. How do you navigate that? Uh, it's a difficult, it's a difficult road to navigate. I will say that um, I'm lucky to be in a place where my audience also works in the building. Mm. Um, so having a little, having some of the focal group where I can just go up to a group of students and saying, hey guys, take a look at this. Do you understand what I'm trying to do? hey, what is it you think, or what do you think about this? Mm -hmm. There's been plenty of times where students have come back saying, I'm not crazy about the color. I think it leads more toward a feminine group and we're really trying to be more inclusive. Um, so, you know, taking those into consideration, of course, we get a lot of feedback from people just based on, you know, it's just subjective, but sometimes it's taking that feedback and actually applying it to see like, Hey, wait a minute, is this going to work? Mm -hmm. Like, does this, does this actually work again? It's uh, I like to use uh, Likert scales. I've heard his name Likert or Likert. I don't know. But <laughs> I, like to use, I, used to, I like to use Likert scales, but I also like to get some qualitative information like, what about this is really working for you? What about this isn't working for you? Um, if you were to pass this in the hallway, would you stop? And if so, like how long would you stop? So that kind of stuff. Um, are you willing to go to this event? Are you willing to, like after seeing this ad, would you go to this event? And just asking them and giving them, getting that feedback from them saying like, okay, like, are they willing to go? Are they willing to try this product? Are they willing to try this service just based on what they're seeing visually? Is it something yeah. that interests them? So is a Likert scale, is a Likert scale, right? You said, 
so are those like a series of questions? Is that like a, a formula for the kinds of questions you ask? Like, uh, help me understand what that actually is. Uh, the Likert scale, you, you've probably done it multiple times. It's, um, it's more the quantitative. It's one through five. Okay. Like, agree versus disagree, that kind of thing. Okay. So you can always just take the measurements, like where's everybody kind of meeting up? Where's the majority of everyone meeting up? Where are the outliers? And then again, just asking some qualitative, like what about this? You know, especially if they're scoring low, if they're like, uh, you know, the design's a one for me. Okay, what about this makes it a one? Right. You know, and if we were to improve it to say a three, what would we need to do to improve it to a three? Interesting. So then have you done like multiple versions? So have you gone, like, have you as an experiment gone and done like revisions and came back and revisions and came back? Yeah, um, we, we move very fast. So I haven't been able to do like multiple revisions, but I usually come back with, uh, you know, first round, second round, and then around the second round, if I can improve and get up to, I, I generally like to shoot for like a three if I'm at a one, but um if I can improve a point on it, then I'm heading in somewhat into a right direction. Um, just kind of where we are, though, it's very fast paced. Yeah. You know? um, everyone's everybody loves this client who gives you information at the last minute. That is my entire job. So <laughs> every single day. Uh, but that's that's just reality. That's how the operation works. So. I have to make sure that I'm presenting the information in a very bold but obvious standpoint that's going to catch their attention and get them to say, okay, I want to register. Or I want to ask a question about how do I register. Mm -hmm. them to ask a question is the best place I can get them in because we can get them registered right there. So, so you talked about how boldness is in, uh, in the context of where you're at. So out of curiosity for the school that you're at, what does bold look like? Oh, for Georgia State, we build off of bold. Um, one thing that we really do pride ourselves on um, that is very bold, if you're thinking about societal views, is we, we work with a lot of lower SES students, which a lot of schools in the area don't don't really do. Uh, it's a very big, it's a very bold move in our standpoint. We take on a large amount of students. We have about fifty-two thousand. Oh wow! Um, yeah, yeah fifty-two thousand. Parking is great, um, <laughs> but uh, in that standpoint, we we give everybody the chance for education, which is in my sense, that's a very big, bold move on the fact that there is a lot of risk for those who may not be ready mm. for the education, but we still find a place for them uh, where we are. Um, when it comes to brand standards, uh, we take, I wish we were a little more bold. I'm gonna say that. I wish we were a little bit more bold in what we uh, do in our brand standards. But one thing that we really kind of focus on when it comes to uh, innovation is making sure that everybody knows what we are trying to achieve 
and what we are branching out from other areas. We have one of the biggest law schools. Um, we have a huge gaming uh, community on campus that's actually allowed us to build degrees with people who want to become game designers. And, oh, cool. you know, it, it's starting to kind of branch, it's starting to really kind of build and branch out even our graphic design uh, our graphic design uh, uh, degree is incredibly intense, but I mean, students, I, one of my students is now at, a, at HBO. Oh, dang. Um, and that itself is a, like, is a bold move for her because uh, she is, uh, she did it on her own. She took what GSU gave her. She built on top of it, knowing there would be a risk. So landed the job. So I think in a way we teach students how to take that risk, but also not to be afraid of being bold and trying something different. And then we let everyone know, this is how we're innovating. This is how we're changing. This is how we're breaking stigma and breaking societal views on people who never thought they would make it in college and now they are. Right. Well, and I think that's just like, you know, you know, as we wrap up here, I think that's just something that I hope every business longs for um, is to have their actions match, you know, their mission statement. You know what I mean? And, and it's, it's so easy for a business to say something like, oh, like our customer service is the best or, you know, just make some sort of wild claim or, you know, whatever it is, uh, you know, if <laughs> like all I could think of is uh, like, have you ever had Arrogant Bastard Ale? Mm -hmm. Have you heard of it? Mm -hmm. It's by uh, it's by Stone Brewing Company. Um, I don't know. I don't know if you drink it all, but. Um, anyway, so it's a, it's a company called like Stone Brewing, uh, and they have a, a, a drink called Arrogant Bastard Ale. And like the tagline is like, you are not worthy. And uh, it's an IPA. It's, it's pretty intense. It's, it's some pretty bold marketing for sure. But I was just thinking like, if, if I open a bottle of that and it was like a sweet nectar beer, like I'd be like, what are they freaking talking about? Like as it is, you drink it and it's like, it hits. You know, it's it's not playing around kind of drink. And all I can think of is sometimes I feel like that's there's like an, a, a business equivalent of that where like a business will say like, hey, we really make a difference or hey, we do really crazy things or, you know, whatever else. And then like what they actually serve the community with is just just doesn't match up at all. And uh, I think it's so important for the, you know, the people who are in business listening to this is like make sure that, you know, your branding, your identity, your design, your mission statement actually lines up with your actions uh because otherwise uh what's the saying that like uh great marketing kills a bad product faster <laughs> like, and uh and so it's important you make sure that like whatever it is that you're trying to portray on the outside you know the the, the client facing work speaks true and authentically to what's actually happening on the inside and so i i love that, that you guys are are you know, uh, ringing the bell for that. And then also standing behind that. I think that's really cool. And so that's exciting that you get to work for a company who's, who's standing behind stuff like that. I think that's amazing. It must feel good. It does. Um, it's, 
it's just amazing to see everybody uh, and what, and especially the opportunities they get and just seeing students um, do something they never thought they were able to do, which is again, taking that risk, being bold. Yeah. Uh, it's amazing to watch every day. That's cool. I love it. Well, cool, man. Well, Hey, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom on here. I uh, really appreciate it. Um, you know, I know for sure that I definitely got challenged in how I'm communicating challenged on how I handle people and, uh, just challenged on how to, you know, just be smart and thoughtful and caring about how I go about making content and communicating to the world. So I really appreciate that. Um, very valuable stuff. And so I know for a lot of people who are doing, you know, in the business world, who are trying to navigate a lot of those things and a lot of those fears, this should be really helpful for them. So thank you so much for being on. Well, thank you. I enjoyed this. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you everyone for watching. Uh, if you could uh, just give a little shout out for, I don't know if there's like a social media platform that you're on the most that maybe people could get connected with you or if they, if you just best uh, to be caught by email, just uh, if you could share that and we'll of course add that to the show notes in the comments below as well. So people can get a hold of you. Yeah. Um, talking about being bold, I killed my entire portfolio. So I'm actually <laughs> building it right now and hopefully in the new year, I'm actually going to have a new website, but right now you can reach me out at uh, sluggo, S-L-U-G-G-O design at gmail.com. And um, you can also listen to my podcast, Mind Plus Design on Spotify Ooh. if you want to. Um, we talk a lot about this. So if you want to learn more, um, there's always that as well so awesome well yeah definitely go check that out i mean i am i i do creative work but i definitely you know i wouldn't describe myself as doing design work so for people who's up that alley go check out that podcast because you ain't gonna hear me talking about design because i got nothing to add to it <laughs> so cool awesome thank you so much man i appreciate it thank you want to cause no problems I just wanna live my life, but I keep on hearing about nonsense. Me and my dons ain't mobsters, but you know when you see imposters. We know how to read them faces, same way you know how to read them comments. If you wanna talk, let's talk, but around here, make sure you walk and you talk, it's constant.